The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Welcome, everybody, to The Christine Uptrich Show here on KKNW AM 1150 here in the Seattle area and Transformation Talk Radio around the world. I'm grateful you're joining us here today, and you will be too, because we're ha- we have one of my all-time favorites, somebody I love to converse with, I love to read his books, um, and you're going to be fascinated what he has to share today. But before I get into welcoming him, I want to say hello to the man behind all the technology, Mr. Benny Mathers. Good morning, Benny. Hey, uh, Christine, and uh, where'd you park your boat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You know, getting into the studio is usually no problem. You know, I'm like eh, 40 minutes away. Yeah. But today there were there were road closures because of flooding. Portage it in, canoe it in. There were lights out, so you know, stop and go, and and police getting involved, yeah. getting traffic, moving traffic along. So. I got into the studio just a wee bit more stressed. Yeah. Oh than no, usual. you're totally fine. It is unreal on how much rain. It's like we made up for this last two months that we never saw the rain because everyone's like, "Oh, it always rains in Seattle." We actually haven't had that much until like now. Yeah. Yeah, like last night and today, it is unreal. It like is. the faucet just got turned on from upstairs. And my backyard <laughs> where I had it overseeded and it had turned to grass yeah, finally, yeah, yeah, like yeah. This, the end of the summer, yeah. it now looks like a mud bowl. So <laughs> yes, but I, I hear come that. Over. I want to come over and play. <laughs> The, the, I hear in the southeast they're expecting a half a foot of rain this weekend. See? Crazy. What are we doing? Oh, it's that probably that warm blob off the coast. I think that's what they're calling it. Then. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I don't know if you heard about that. No, the warm blob. That, is that the technical term for it? Yeah, really. It, it's uh, just it's off the south coast of Alaska, that whole interior area off of the Pacific. Mm-hmm. It's a warm patch of warm water, basically. Okay. That's causing a little bit of a shakeup with our usual cold water that hasn't moved anywhere. It's called the blob. The blob. The warm blob. Uh, yes. I'm sure they can make a horror movie out of that. I think they already did. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not warm, but there is blob. Yes. I'm really excited about our guest today, Robert Moss. Oh, my goodness. He's been on the show several times before, and every time he's going to be on, I get all excited. I read his latest book, and it's like, oh, I know we're going to have a great conversation. And today we're going to be talking about how to dream your soul back home. He is a shamanic dream teacher. He's a best-selling author. And in the course of life, he explains that we are liable to suffer what he calls soul loss, losing both vital energy and identity. And he's, oh my goodness, he's written so many books, including Mysterious Realities. Um, His latest one is Dreaming the Soul Back Home, Shamanic Dreaming for Healing and Becoming Whole. Um, He... He's written about dreams, shamanism, imagination, oh, some fun books about imagination. He's a novelist, a poet, an independent scholar, scholarly he is. He's the creator of something called Active Dreaming, which is an original synthesis of dream work and shamanism. And he leads these creative and shamanic adventures all over the world. And I tell you, it's really fun to follow him on social media because you see 
photographs and, and hear about the various places he teaches. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Robert Moss. Welcome back, Robert. Christine, always such fun to be with you, and thanks for paddling your canoe through the floodwaters. <laughs> I just have to stay inside off the ice that surrounds me where oh, I live oh, in the frozen northeast. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And, um, I, you know, in this area, we always wish for a white Christmas, but um, you may be wishing for something different out there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind a sort of greetings card white Christmas, oh. but... Where I live, you know, two, another two feet of snow is not necessarily required. I must say, Christine, there's always a reward proportionate to the effort that we have to go through to get to something, isn't there? We make oh, an effort, and somehow what yes. we get at the end is often much more than it would be otherwise, as if the sweat equity we put in is paying off big time. And I hope that's what we'll find in this conversation. Our, my conversations with you are always delightful, rich, and produce unexpected things. And I, I love that you're saying about effort, and it's and it's the effort that we make when we're doing something or going towards a goal that we truly want, as opposed to pushing ourselves because it's what is expected of us. But when it's like soul-led, heartfelt, um, and all that effort does pay off in in ways that we can't even imagine. This is such an important subject. I mean, to generalize it for a bit, I mean, we find an obstacle in our way. I mean, the Stoics used to say the obstacle may be your way. That's the Stoic mm. Emperor Marcus Aurelius. What is in your way might be your way, or the obstacle is your way. Right. And that can be true in a number of senses. It might be, as you and I are talking today, that the effort we put into something which is soul-directed, we're doing what we want to do, we have to put extra effort into get, getting to it, just sort of hones our skills, confirms our determination, heightens our passion and, you know, commitment to what we're doing. I mean, in that sense, the obstacle might be part of the way that it makes us even more determined, even more passionate about what we're doing. The obstacle can be our way in other senses, of course. We might find that when an obstacle is in our way, which we really find it difficult or tedious to get around, and it might, might lead us to question whether we're actually going in the right direction. Mm, but that yes. might be another sense in which the obstacle is the way. This is an interesting meditation in life. Something is blocking you. Something is making it difficult. Is that so your commitment will be deepened? Is that so you'll prove your passion? Is that so you'll hone your skills? Or is it actually saying to you, you know, choose a different direction? And that's always a tough one to assess. How do you do it, Robert? Well, it is tough to assess. I mean, sometimes you have to pause and you know, take a good look at things and ask yourself, you know, what am I doing here? I remember at one point in my life some years ago, I felt that I was banging repeatedly on a door that would not open. The obstacle felt exactly like that. It felt like a huge, heavy, maybe oaken door studded with metal and it would not open. And suddenly I had those moments, one of those moments of grace and revelation in an entirely spontaneous way which you're able to look at yourself from a witness perspective. I mean, this is so important in life, to be able to observe ourselves occasionally. Mm -hmm. We usually fail to do it. But in this moment, gifted to me, I guess, by my larger self, I suddenly see myself from a witness perspective. And I see, here's Robert. He's banging his fists on this door that will not open, and his uh -huh. fists are being bloodied. And I'm sighing and thinking, yeah, that's what it's like. What is this teaching me? And suddenly inside the spontaneous vision, I haven't asked for it, it's just come upon me. Uh -huh. I feel that prickle at the back of the neck as if someone's looking at you. And I turn around and I see inside the vision, which is like a bubble of a holographic movie all around me. I see there's a wonderful sort of golden archway leading to opportunity and beautiful people and 
situations that might be what I want in life. And, oh, what I want is actually over there. It's not through the door that is closed. Uh-huh. It's through the open golden archway. And in the golden archway, I see this very slick, very elegant, slightly tricksterish figure who is beckoning to me. And I drift in his direction in my vision. I'm going through the archway and I feel, okay, I've found my way. And I look back to try and understand what the heck was going on. And I notice two things. The gatekeeper of my life, as he chose to show himself, and he was a he on this occasion, uh-huh. while he's beckoning me through an open doorway of opportunity, was using his other hand to hold the door that would not open shut. He mm. wouldn't let it open. He's the closer of ways, not the opener of ways in right. terms of that. And why is that going on? Behind the door I was hell-bent on breaking down is a place of confinement, a place like a jail cell. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those moments of witness perspective. And when you understand in your shivers, in the truth of your shivers, you've just been shown something really important. You've been shown that that door was held shut. That obstacle would not move. That block would not yield because you were going the wrong way. You needed to choose a different way. So that's how I know these things sometimes. I'm not necessarily the full-fledged vision like that. Mm -hmm. That is gifted, not all the time. But in the truth of your shivers, in the truth of your feelings, I mean, I navigate by shivers. I practice the science of shivers. Truth comes with goosebumps. Yeah, and I, I I get the creepy crawly sensation on the on the crown of my head, um, okay. and sometimes I'll feel you know if it's a, if it's a no I'll get a tightness in my solar plexus, and other times if it's a yes I'll feel like this effervescent energy, and and but, but one of the things that confuses me sometimes, Robert, is if I'm getting a no, you know I'm trying to uh, open the door and I'm looking for the key to unlock the door and I'm pounding the door and nobody's answering. Sometimes I'm not sure if it's a definite no or if it's just not yet. Well, then you see, we aren't. I love the I love the creepy crawly sitting at the top of your head. <laughs> very vivid, uh, very tactile, and I like signs of that kind that are somatic signs. The body is supporting our understanding. Right. But what we can do is we can ask for a second opinion, and we can do it from the world around us. I mean, mm. as I think you know, one of my games is always. To put a question to the world, I'll put it to my dreams at night, but I'll put it to the dreamlike symbols of the day as well. So I've been wondering about something. I'm wondering if this is the right way or not. I'm wondering if this obstacle is there to test me or to get me to rethink my strategy in life. Mm-hmm. I'll put the question to the world and I'll say, okay, the next unexpected, unusual thing that comes up in my field of perception will be uh, a message. I did this once playing the car radio game. So in my, in my mind at the time, There's three business projects I was thinking about, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they're going to go forward. There's Uh no absolute block, but things are not going as fluidly as one would like. So I decide the first thing that comes on the car radio in respect of my question, three business projects, will be a message from the world. Uh I turn on the car radio, and I'm listening to a commercial for three funeral homes, and I'm thinking, this isn't great. What is a funeral home? It's a place where a body is laid out for final disposal. It's the place of the dead. Does this mean all the three projects are dead? Well, they were. I didn't want to accept the message that day, but by the end of the week, it was absolutely clear to me. The world had delivered unerringly and very specifically the message I needed to hear. So let's remember that. We can get a second opinion. I, I do it through, you know, the play of synchronicity, things that come up in my field of observation in the world. And, of course, I do it in the night through putting my intention to my dreams, and they will give me a second opinion, too. And, and I'm the same way, the, the synchronicities. Once we start paying attention to the synchronicities and, and asking the questions, 
we're bombarded by that information. It can be amusing sometimes. It's it's kind of like sometimes I wonder if in that other realm, the, the information I've been bombarded with and finally, you know, somebody on the other side is saying, finally, she's listening, you know, or she's looking, you know, thank goodness, because we've been bombarding her, bombarding her with those messages forever. Well, we can be bombarded. I mean, that's when we fail to get the first response, which is sometimes sufficient. The message about the three funeral homes was actually sufficient in itself. Uh The vision of the door that would not open was sufficient when I was ready to see it. But sometimes, of course, just like with recurring dreams that come again and again because we will either willfully not understand the message or will not act upon it, sometimes we're bombarded because, you know, the people behind the beings, the intelligence behind the curtain of our ordinary understanding, who mm-hmm. might be include our larger self, a resolute in trying to get a message through, and they'll persist until we receive the message. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're doing it, I think, with a sense of humor. Sometimes mm-hmm. when I get a message repeated and repeated, whether through synchronicity or through dreams, I can almost hear people who are on my side but can be very playful and tricksterish, yes. snickering and joking and saying, do you think he's got it yet? Should we give him another one? Uh-huh. Should we try another one before <laughs> to make sure that he's got it, either as confirmation or as a, a nudge to turn the other way? Right, right. We have to go to a quick break, but when we return, we're going to be talking about shamanism, dreams, and how they intersect with Robert Moss. Stay tuned for more in just a few moments. The Vibration of Change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance. From the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On the Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. If you struggle with fear and anxiety, you know how powerless and stuck these emotions can make you feel. You've tried everything, but nothing helped you overcome these blocks. Dr. Friedman Schaub, award-winning author of The Fear and Anxiety Solution, created a special program which helped thousands of his clients to become healthy, happy, and confident again. Learn how to eliminate negative self-talk, let go of your emotional baggage, and replace limiting beliefs. With Dr. Friedman's accelerated program, you can break through your challenges. Visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. For centuries, spiritual traditions have talked about how humans have an energy field, or aura, surrounding them. Although skeptical scientists refuted this for decades, science is now beginning to catch up with spirituality. Scientists can actually measure light emanating from living beings, so they can measure the human aura, which in scientific terms is known as the biofield. Many medical practitioners around the world use an instrument to evaluate a patient's biofield for the purpose of diagnosing illness. They understand that imbalanced or insufficient light in a person's energy field indicates a physical or emotional problem. The good news? There are ways to balance and increase your light, resulting in greater well-being. For more information, please check out StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836.
many times do you find yourself saying, it was nothing? Next time someone tells you, great job, you'll know how to accept it and not deflect it by listening to Courage to be Seen Radio with host Sherry Clark. Sherry Clark is an experienced global engineering leader, coach, and mentor. From her experiences one-on-one coaching to corporate consulting and executive coaching, Sherry has learned many women need at least three things to discover and face success. Learn about the ACES program, how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com, and listen to the first Tuesday of the month at 11 a.m. Pacific with host Sherry Clark. You have the courage to be seen. See you later. Welcome back to the Christine Eftert Show here on KKNW in Seattle and Transformation Talk Radio around the world. I love that. We want our freedom, don't we? And our guest today is somebody who shows us a new kind of freedom, or maybe it's an ancient kind of freedom. Um, Robert, I was fascinated in your most recent book, um, Dreaming the Soul Back Home, to learn more about shamanism. And I know that you're a shaman, but you're, you link shamanism to, to dreams and dreaming. Um, first of all, what is a shaman? Well, let's be very clear about words for a moment. I mean, in the languages of North America, in the indigenous languages of North America, the word shaman, which is from Central Asia, it actually means one who dreams, dreamer. Ah, Radzedbox in the Mohawk yeah. Indian language, which I had to learn because of my dreams. That's the word for shaman. It's also the word for healer, and actually it's also used for physician. So one who dreams, the dreamer. And you find this across North America, indigenous North America. The word shaman is Tungusic, which is a people of Central Asia. Uh, Buryat, they've got a similar word. comes from Central Asia. And people discuss what it originally means. Some, some say it means one who knows, the different you know, scholarly discussions about the etymology. But in practice, we can learn a lot about what a shaman is by listening, if, particularly if we're North Amer- in North America, as you and I are, to what the native terms for a shaman are. The shaman is one who dreams. What does that mean? It means one who dreams beyond our ordinary understanding of the, of the word, because it's not just about interpreting sleep dreams. In fact, interpretation in the conventional sense is hardly a part of shamanism at all. Mm. Dreaming is traveling in the minds of indigenous shamanic peoples, shamanic dreaming people. Dreaming is when you can leave the body and do something interesting. You can see into the future. You can visit the realms of the dead. You can go guide souls on the road to and from the afterlife. You can uh-huh. guide souls, find and, and guide souls that have left the body because of pain and trauma through what shamanic types call soul loss, and maybe bring them back to the body and make somebody whole and healed again. Uh-huh. So the shamans who interest me are first and last world-class dreamers. They can dream with intention. They can shift consciousness and move into a different state, which can be called a shamanic state of consciousness. Now, there's a lot of talk in our culture about how hallucinogens and so on are used to, to facilitate this in some cultures, and sure. that's very strong in South America. That doesn't interest me. I mean, for various life reasons, I've never needed any chemicals except the ones I make in my own body uh-huh. to shift consciousness. I've right. always been able to do that. So I have no interest. I don't condemn other people or judge other people who need them. But for me, hallucinogens are not part of what is essential to shamanism. What's essential to shamanism is the ability to shift consciousness intentionally, travel somewhere, and do something useful. 
the shamans who interest me are also storytellers and dramatists. I mean, they're able to change the, 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 the body and the experience of the world by telling a better story about it. Mm. And I notice this in many traditional cultures, too. I mean, in Inuit culture, for example, uh, the angakok, which is the Inuit word for shaman, has a vocabulary which might be 20 times that of an average North American college student. Oh, he or she has a specific poetic vocabulary of twisting, shape-shifting words that in themselves begin to change things. So as somebody who loves the poetry of good speech, um, that's rather Celtic, isn't it? The goodly speech, mm. rather Celtic. Well, I'm partly Celtic. Um, uh, someone who loves goodly speech and poetry, I, I like the shaman's ability when the shaman is on to shift things by telling stories and transferring stories to people. I'd say something else fundamental about the practice of shamanism. Uh, the shaman, the true shaman, is someone who's intimate with death. I don't think there's anyone you could call a true shaman who has not literally died and come back oh, and knows something really? about what goes on beyond this world because he or she has been there. I mean, I did that in childhood. I was pronounced clinically dead at age three and age nine. I had the experiences that go with that kind of thing. Right. And I've always known that there's life beyond the body. I don't have a theology about these things, but I know that consciousness survives the physical body because I've been there and I've seen other people go there. Mm -hmm. So I would say that although shamans have specialities, just like doctors have specialities or scholars have specialities, but one thing that real shamans have in common is they have this intimacy with death. They can regard death as an ally. They travel a lot of the roads to and from the, uh, the other world, the afterlife, and they can guide souls in coming and going on those roads. So those are some of the core things about shamanism. But let me just pause to comment on the word shamanism itself. There are no isms in real shamanism, not traditional shamanism. Mircea Eliade, the great Romanian scholar who I've come to know very well through his work and my dreams of him, he gave us the word shamanism as a popular word in our culture with a, with a pioneering book back in the 1950s, which people still read with profit. But in the, the original languages of Central Asia, like the Tungus, like the Buryats, these people who use the word shaman, their word for the collective knowledge of the shamans is not shamanism. It means the stories or the telling. And there's such truth and beauty when you grasp, when you grasp that. They're saying that their whole body of knowledge of practice and wisdom is the story, the mm. telling. Not an ism, not an academic ism, not right, something abstract, right. but something muscular, sinewy, uh, because with the life that stories have. So that's a little bit about what shamans do. By the way, I don't run around calling myself a shaman. I don't want to be confused with people who you know, go and take drugs at the Amazon uh -huh. uh, or think that shamanism is running around in the woods missing each other's armpits. I mean, I understand <laughs> that the true shaman in the West, for example, yeah. might be Carl Gustav Jung. You, you want a model of a shaman? Here's somebody who's up to speed with the best of science and scholarship in his time, which uh -huh. is typical for the shamans that most interest me. They're ahead of their time in terms of the culture, in terms of being willing to master the tools and the skills and to take on the discipline of science and scholarship. And it's also ready to know through first-hand experience. Jung went to the underworld. He right. risked everything in his great deep journeys in the underworld. We know that from the Red Book, what the price he paid. And he came back. He brought himself back. and He brought back the knowledge from his underworld journey, which enabled him to help and heal others. So that's another thing about the shaman in practical terms. The shamans who interest me can do some good for other people, such as such as helping us to get more of our vital energy and identity back in the body where it belongs. Right. And, to and heal the, the holes in our being, to, to to bring back the hollow people to the knowledge of soul and the memory of what soul wants. So, so that's a bit of it. 
you, you talk about the holes, the, the soul loss. How, first of all, do we come in here, you know, whole automatically? And if so, you know, how do we end up with some sort of soul loss? You ask such good questions, Christine. Oh, this one could, could take at least two hours, but I'll try oh. and do two minutes. Well, we lose something coming down the birth canal. What do we lose? We lose memory. There are wonderful mythic stories about this. One of them is in is in Plato that you know we 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 suffer memory loss before we came here. Right. Uh, according to Plato and, and and according to other traditions, we entered into some kind of soul agreement about the conditions of this life that we can only carry part of it, or else it would be overwhelming. By the time we've come down the birth canal. We've lost a lot of our knowledge of the soul's purpose. I mean, mm. this is part of the theme. Do we remember what our life contact is? Do we remember that we might have come here on an assignment? The answer is basically no. Mm. Some of us remember a bit. Some of us are fortunate to have people around us, guardians and mentors, who help us remember right. why we came here. So simply coming into this world uh, requires a degree of memory loss. We cannot remember the plenitude of what we are and where we where we were before we came into the body. So mm-hmm. this isn't so much soul loss as a loss of soul memory. And part of a life odyssey that involves growing soul, growing your vitality, growing your sense of purpose, might involve remembering more as the time is appropriate of what you were, who you were before you came here. Uh, there are people who suffer trauma in the womb. There are people who suffer trauma at birth. I once, mm-hmm. when I did private counseling, had to see, work with somebody whose heart had stopped at the moment of birth, and he oh, had wow. suffered very serious soul loss at that moment. Part of him had left his body at the very moment he is entering into this world, and it had gone missing, and it needs to be brought back. Mm-hmm. So the shamanic understanding of these things, which is as big as this, it's an understanding of the root cause of many of our existential complaints, our fatigue, our blown immune systems, our confusion, our addictions, mm-hmm. our general you know, loss of, loss, loss of confidence and vitality. Part of the shaman's understanding of what is wrong with many of us is we're missing a vital piece of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that comes about, again, through what shamanic types call soul loss. And on a visceral level, all of us can understand it. And we can remember, you suffered pain, I suffered pain, we suffered trauma. Mm-hmm. Maybe we were abused or violated. Maybe right. we were betrayed or abandoned. Maybe as a child, we just found the world so cold and so cruel, we didn't want to be in it. Yeah. So part of us went away. Maybe somebody close to us died and we wished ourselves dead to be with that person. And maybe part of us went off on the road to the other world to try and stay with him or her. Uh-huh. We had to make a wrenching life choice. You know, part of us wanted to stay with him or leave her or stay in that job or that country. But we made a different choice. So maybe part of us split off at that moment. Uh-huh. And in addition, maybe to living a parallel life where different choices were made. And now you and I have had a whole conversation about that. With, resisted yeah. the choice we made. So these are all, you know, in brief summary, some of the reasons why we might lose a part of our energy and even a part of our identity, a part of our ability to operate well in the world, because we became divided, we became dissociated, and part of us left. Now, good therapy, whether it's formal therapy, whether it's the therapy of good friends and neighbors gathering around, can help bring some of this back. But sometimes it is so far away, it's living in a garden behind the the dark side of the moon, you know, in in the wonderful children's story of long ago living in grandma's place, it's hiding in the attic or hiding in the closet, mm-hmm. or it's living in a place where children never have to grow up, like the land of lost boys and Peter Pan. Maybe mm-hmm. part of us went so far away 
it will take really some effort to find it and bring it home, and it might take some negotiation because that beautiful young girl doesn't trust the adult you, doesn't think that you're safe, doesn't think you're fun, and she might have to be talked to very well, very seductively. And I know you've got all sorts of approaches um, to help facilitate that. We've got to go to another quick break, but stay tuned for more, and we're going to learn about active dreaming and how that connects with uh, retrieving lost parts of the soul. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. For centuries, spiritual traditions have talked about how humans have an energy field, or aura, surrounding them. Although skeptical scientists refuted this for decades, science is now beginning to catch up with spirituality. Scientists can actually measure light emanating from living beings, so they can measure the human aura, which in scientific terms is known as the biofield. Many medical practitioners around the world use an instrument to evaluate a patient's biofield for the purpose of diagnosing illness. They understand that imbalanced or insufficient light in a person's energy field indicates a physical or emotional problem. The good news? There are ways to balance and increase your light, resulting in greater well-being. For more information, please check out StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. This is Debbie Pokornik with a break-free parenting tip. If you haven't been practicing active listening or not getting into some bad habits, it's a good idea to go back to the basics and remind yourself how to be a good listener. Here's an idea that might help. When your child comes to you with a story about her day, set aside whatever you're doing and give her your full attention. If you're in the middle of something that can't be put aside, Tell her that you really want to be able to give her story your full attention and ask if you could continue the conversation at a specific time. So for example, this sounds like an important story and I'd really like to give it my full attention. Can we talk about it in 10 minutes when supper's in the oven? Active listening might sound like common sense, but often it's these simple skills that get buried in our parenting pack and easily forgotten or overlooked. Challenge yourself to practice this skill for a full week and see if you notice a difference in how much your child is sharing. For information and to work with Debbie, visit EmpoweringNRG.com. Right now, ask yourself, how far are you from your dream? Are you closer today than yesterday? Entrepreneur and personal coach Deborah Rothschild brings the wit and wisdom to transform you into a new dynamic you. Tune in to the Deborah Rothschild Show, developing a dynamic you. To learn more about Deborah, visit thedebrashow.com. That's the D-E-B-R-A show.com. Tune in live every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on transformationtalkradio.com. Your money is your creational energy. When you feed your wealth back into what you love, it signals your choices and returns to you. Tune in to Money Momentum with host Karen Baines and learn the truth about the widely misunderstood creative energy that is the cash in your pocket. Realign the things you can't see to get the results you can see. Listen every month for a whole new hour on how to get the money already aligned to who you are. For more information on Karen and Money Momentum, visit soulwhispers.uk. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance. 
from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Welcome back to The Christine Upchurch Show here on 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle and on Transformation Talk Radio around the world. And if you're listening after the fact, you can find it on christineupchurch.com or one of the dozens of podcasts this ends up. We are talking today with the wonderful Robert Moss. He is an author of many, many books. And his latest is called Dreaming the Soul Back Home. Now, Robert, um, before the break, you were talking about sort of interacting with and creating safety for that child within us. Um, how do we integrate that child into our wholeness? Well, we've got to be safe and we've got to be fun. I mean, and let's just put this in its true context. I mean, we have all the joy and laughter and imagination and energy we need if we are truly connected to the magical child. The magical uh-huh. child is a term that might apply to various aspects of our younger self, including a very young self and a teenage self and others in between. But let's say that the magical child is that younger version of ourselves who knows all about dreaming because she lives close to the dreaming, knows all about imagination because she understands the magic of making things up. Uh-huh. She doesn't think that that's something to dismiss the way that boring adults do. But to bring her or bring him fully into our lives today, we've got to be safe because maybe in childhood the world was not safe. Maybe right. bad things happened. Maybe we felt unmentored, unprotected, unsheltered. So we have to sometimes find the younger self and have a conversation with her. This is a journey I lead. I help people to find a path, sweep the path clear back to the place of the magical child. It might be like a magical cottage where she's waiting for you. She might be on the other side uh-huh. of a door of a bright certain color in an otherwise blank wall, and then you're in the magical garden, and then you find her. So if we can find the magical child, then we've got to reassure her, as I say, that we are saying, we've got to be fun. We've got to find things to do that she likes to do, whether that's, you know, eating popcorn or dancing in the rain uh-huh. or, or having tea parties with dolls or playing with toy soldiers and model trains, as my boy souls like to do, or maybe something larger. Maybe they'd like to be part of our creative enterprise. My younger boys have been conspiring for years to get me to write books for them and with them, not just adult books. Uh-huh. The books of adventure and imagination that they would really enjoy. Wonderful. And I must say, I haven't given enough of myself to that assignment yet, so I'm feeling a little bit on the spot as I talk to you about this. And and, and as somebody who has read your work and heard you speak, and, and oh, I, I know that that would be something wonderful to gift to the children of the world. Well... There is, yes, there are, there are books to be written, and um, I have plans for them, and I've done bits and pieces of them, and I won't make any commitments on your show, but <laughs> I keep saying to myself, yeah. I'm going to take some weeks, and I have a miniature stand-up typewriter on my desk. I don't have room in my crowded office uh-huh. for an old stand-up manual typewriter, but I remember talking about magical children. So when I was 14, and I met this kid the other day, I'd forgotten him, my 14-year-old Robert Stolz. He sat down during a long, for him, boring summer vacation in Canberra Australia, far from the beach where Aussies like to be. 
And in this boring place in hot weather, he typed on a stand-up manual typewriter 10 pages, single-spaced, every day of a novel, and he finished the novel. So, So I remembered this kid's effort, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could do that now? So I have in front of me as a sort of talisman uh-huh. and a prompt. I have a miniature doll, doll's house type stand-up manual typewriter to remind me I've got to have a go at doing what I could do at 14. That would be an example, whether or not it works, of trying to bring back in the context of one writer's life mm-hmm. some of the energy and application of the younger self. For you, it might be crazy dancing. Yeah, or we, you talk, be, I talked you know. about that in the break. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> I, I do spontaneous dancing, but I remembered when, when I was reading your book, I remembered, oh, there is something I did as a kid that I really need to do now. And that is the crazy dancing, you know, that where you really don't care what you look like. Yes, I, 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 think, this, I think this is the key. And I think we I think it's very liberating, very freeing for us. It, 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 it breaks us out of adult inhibitions and self-limitation mm-hmm. and I think, seriously, it does bring another energy into play, into the body and into the heart where it belongs, and it brings joy and laughter, and it brings creation, the power of creation. So I think this is what, you know, soul recovery, which is the phrase that I like to use, but uh-huh. really what we can do when we become shamans of our own souls and find a way to engage with our own magical child rather than looking to someone else to do things for us. I think this is what it's all about. I think it's all about growing soul, growing vitality, and bringing more joy and laughter and creation into life. You know, Robert, one of the things I'm fascinated by is this concept of soul recovery or lost parts of the soul. Um, how does that relate to the shadow sides of ourselves as, as is known in psychology? Well, let's just talk a little bit about the kind of situation uh, reflecting your question, which is quite common. So many people in our society are going through a dream drought, right? So many adults mm-hmm. we know don't remember dreams, don't have a connection with dreams of the night. They might have some kind of spiritual practice. They might do yoga, they might do tai chi, they might do meditation, they mm-hmm. might do this or that, but they've lost a connection with the spontaneous dreams of the night. And this is a serious condition in the view of indigenous cultures. If you lost connection with your dreams of the night, it's because you've lost the part of yourself that is the dreamer. So I'm introducing a practice now. Suppose that's your condition or suppose you're just not very happy with your engagement with spontaneous dreams and imagery. Mm -hmm. I would ask you to think back in your life, if you possibly can, to a dream from childhood. Maybe it's the last dream you remember. Maybe it's the first dream you remember. Either way, or maybe it's actually a scene from waking life in childhood. And I invite you to see whether you could re-enter that experience in the mm. workshops we use drumming and, or, or other tools to shift consciousness, but you could do it in light meditation. You could simply call up the memory, the image of that dream or simply that situation from childhood. Try to put yourself there. Now, maybe it's a bad scene. Maybe it's a nightmare or maybe it's a rather threatening, oppressive scene from waking life. If it's like that, you can do this. You can say to yourself, hey, I'm the survivor. I'm the adult here in a good sense that I can go back to my younger self, be the mentor, protector, cheerleader, bodyguard that mm-hmm. my younger self needs in that threatening dream or oppressive situation. I, have, I can help get her through. I can say to her at the very least, you're going to make it through, I promise you. You're going to survive. You're going to know joy. We'll go crazy dancing together many years from now, and you'll love the place that you'll be. You won't mention the floodwaters or having to get in the rowboat to get to the office as you do that. Right. Uh, uh, so that's one way of coming at it. The shadow side, uh, well, you know, the shadow side in Jungian psychology is all the parts of ourselves that we've repressed and denied. And it's not only dark shadows, sometimes there are light shadows, right? Sure. Sometimes the shadow side involves 
aspects of our creativity and possibility that we've excluded from waking consideration because we don't think we can have that or we think that the choice we made don't allow us to go in that direction. So the shadow, when properly understood, is not just about, you know, the threatening or shameful things or the things Mm -hmm. that we're not willing to look at in a negative sense. It's also about any aspects of ourselves that we are not not really willing to contemplate and look at. And and the approach that we're talking about is eventually going to bring you into contact with the shadow and all of those senses, the bright shadow as well as the dark shadow. Uh When we're talking about the child self and about soul loss and soul recovery, we may find that part of what shadowed your child, child self and may still shadow you today was things that your child in her vulnerability and innocence was not ready to deal with. For example, sure. children's dreams are full of giants and monsters because the adult world is so big in comparison to the physical scale of the child. Ah. You know, If we can connect with that child, and maybe we can do that in her own time, we're talking about trans-temporal healing now, travel across time, we might be able to help bring us through. We have to go to yet another break. Boy, this just flies by when I'm talking to you, Robert. But stay tuned for more in just a few moments. Have you been seeing numbers like 111 and 222 everywhere you go? Do you feel that the universe may be trying to get your attention, perhaps offering a message of some sort? As it turns out, numerical patterns and certain types of geometry form the very fabric of our reality, from cells under a microscope to the astronomy of our night sky. At Stellar Reflections, we offer special sessions which tap into these patterns, designed specifically to support you on your journey. The 111 and 222 activations are sessions activating new patterns in your energy field, which in turn can help you create new patterns in your life. After just one session with a practitioner, either in person or via distance, clients report gaining greater clarity, becoming more intuitive, and honoring their inner truth as they move forward in their lives. Curious about what these transformational sessions might do for you? Call 425-999-9836 or visit StellarReflections.com. That's StellarReflections.com. Have you lost a loved one and would desperately love a sign to prove that they are okay? Here's a tip for you. Be curious. Keep an open mind about everything. The proof will come from the most unlikely places. The messages promise to challenge your current beliefs and what you've been taught. Accept and appreciate all, no matter where they come from. I'm Angie Corbett Kuiper. I would love for you to share your signs from beyond on my closed Facebook page, Beyond Grief. What is a brilliant culture and how do we create them? Why are they important? Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you align your culture with your business strategy for exceptional results. Looking for a culture that drives organizational excellence? Listen to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the second and fourth Friday of each month at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit culturalbrilliance.com. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. What does the word healing mean? Many think that healing merely means eliminating symptoms. However, based on my many years as a healer, I have a much broader perspective on the word. Healing can manifest in a variety of ways, including having physical problems resolved, becoming more emotionally centered, experiencing better relationships, gaining greater clarity, and feeling more spiritually connected. True healing always includes some level of transformation. Whatever form healing takes, there is one commonality, an improvement in quality of life. To me, the highest form of healing goes beyond aligning with wellness. It comes from recognizing our soul's voice and allowing it to speak through us. And in that sense, don't we all yearn to heal into our wholeness? 
please visit StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Welcome back to the Christine Eptrich Show. Oh, Robert, this hour is flying by. You know, someday you and I will have to do like a three-hour show together because we have so many things to talk about. But before we go any further... I'm on. Let's do it. Yes. (laughs) Before we go any further, I want to make sure that you share with our listeners your website, your programs, your social media, so they know how they can connect with you. Right. Okay. Thank you. Well, my website is mossdreams.com. That's my surname, like the stuff that grows on trees. You see a lot of it in the Pacific Northwest. Uh-huh. Mossdreamsplural.com. My events calendar is there. I teach, actually, in the Seattle area many times a year out at Mosswood Hollow, which is a wonderful retreat center near Duval. I occasionally come into town and do something at East West Books. But you'll find my public schedule for next year at the website in the events calendar. Uh, my public Facebook pages are Robert Moss Books and Active Dreaming. I lead a lot of a lot of online courses for the Shift Network. We're in the midst of one right now called the School of Imaginal Healing. These things go very deep. Uh-huh. The new book is actually the audio version of Dreaming the Soul Back Home. It is the first audio book I have made. I did an audio series sounds true years ago called Dreamgate. So that's an independent production. I was finally persuaded to narrate one of my books in my own voice. I've been uh-huh. sitting in an airless little cubby hole for yes. three days, uh, being taxed if I said it instead of it is. They wanted me to treat my text like a sacred text. But right. I'm very, very happy with the outcome. And if you can put up my yes. funny accent, you might really enjoy Dreaming the Soul Back Home, which and, is very related to what we're talking about in and the show. I, I tend to prefer to read read books because I'm more visual, but I tell you, there's something about listening to your voice because I listen to the audio version of, of your book and it's, it is, um, it's sort of, it, it creates sort of this, this trance feeling. It, it, and so I think that I probably got a little bit less on the mental version, you know, just because I'm so visual and yet there was something on an energetic level that was very powerful for me. And I know some people prefer to listen to audiobooks, but it's great. It's fabulous. Well, audiobooks are very po- are very popular now. Of course, I do all these. Actually, they're now video, video online courses. They were just audio for five years, but now I've been persuaded to do video audio courses. So you see me sitting in a corner of the basement apartment in my house, which I call my cave, looking like, you know, I'm in Professor Dumbledore's back room. So that's, <laughs> that's visual as well as audio. But uh, there is something about the audio medium, not just that it suits some people's lifestyles, but that for what we're talking about, it can drive and stir the imagination very deep, very quickly. At mm-hmm. least it's got the right voice, talking yeah. about the right thing. So I enjoyed doing it. I'm enjoying seeing the responses it's getting, which are tremendous. Yeah. Okay, so um, I know you've got online programs and, and you do events out here in the Seattle area in Duval. Um, and I, I encourage people to follow Robert on Facebook because you'll get links to his blogs and you'll get to see some of the beautiful places he goes and teaches. And it's, it's, um, it's always fun to follow you on social media. Okay, so um, one of the... One of the themes throughout many of your books relates to animals. Now, yeah. here we are as humans living on this earth. What is the significance of animals in this sort of active dreaming? Well, I think that we all have connection with animal spirits. I mean, this is an indigenous idea. I mean, you might be born into a clan of a totem animal that's part of your identity. But in ancient and indigenous traditions, it's well understood that we have power animals or animal guardians. We might have to earn our relationship with them. 
I find as a practical matter in life that if people are connected to their animal spirits, their animal counterparts, their animal allies, they find it easier to identify and follow the natural path path of their energies. For example, if you're connected with the bear, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to eat things that the bear likes to eat. I mean, berries mm-hmm. and salmon and honey are a good start. Uh-huh. And you're probably going to allow yourself to slow down a little bit in the winter months more than I allow myself to do, even though I developed a very strong bear connection mm-hmm. in North America. The animals all have their medicine. They all have their gifts. And the connection with them is not some new age decal, shuffle the medicine cards, look it up in a book kind of deal. These right. are real psychic energies that will take up residence if they're for real in different energy centers in your body. It will enable you to do different things. Your sensorium will come alive. If you're connected to the canine, you'll find you have a much stronger sense of smell than you do otherwise. If you're mm-hmm. connected to the raptors, you'll find that your vision, your ability to take flight in your imagination, see things from different a- angles, comes alive. So I think that from my point of view, from a shamanic point of view, certainly, we are not whole, we're not fully empowered, not fully endowed, if we don't have a working connection with animal guides that we can call power animals or animal guardians. So one of the first things I do in any program that I lead is I take people on a journey to connect or reconnect them with spiritual allies who will take the form of animals or birds or reptiles or, or aquatic beasts and make that part uh, of their menagerie of spiritual assistance in life. And the results can be tremendous and they can be delivered in very short order. It's funny. Um, I remember seeing uh, a painting and I don't know who did the painting. It was a painting of a little girl walking along with wild animals you know, like a bear and a lion, and and it was like they were in community as opposed to um, any kind of conflict between them. And there was something so appealing on like a deep, deep soul level for me that yeah. um, it's like I know that, at least for myself, that I am meant to be in that kind of communion with animals. Yeah. So you're saying yeah. that it's it's... It's not just the animals of the earth, but it's it's the, the spirit animals as well. It's the spirit animals, and they might include mythic beasts for that matter, which might uh-huh. be absolutely alive in the field of imagination. And the mythic beasts, of course, might have a history, a prehistory, in, in things that flew and walked and crawled on this earth before the, uh, modern uh, zoology. Um, when you spoke about that picture, you reminded me of a recent course which I about healing, imaginal healing, healing through the imagination. And I began by, by taking everybody in its journey into what I called the cave of the dreaming bear to make a connection with great mama bear. Uh-huh. And they did this. And I heard from over 200 people out of the many hundreds who took the course that when then invited to go back to their child self and bring great mother bear as ally, they succeeded in making a deep soulful connection with a younger self who'd been frightened or lost or just disaffected and in the arms of the embrace of great mother bear holding the child self, the adult self together, they accomplished soul recovery in one short journey with the drum. I'm telling this very quickly, but it all went very quickly. I'm just thinking because you evoked that painting uh-huh. about how the child in you or the child in me, who may or may not be solidly and securely in our bodies right now, right. she or he loves and trusts the animals. They love the tiger. They love mm-hmm. the lion. They yes. love the bear. They love the wolf. They love the horse. They love these animals. They trust them sometimes more than they trust the adult self in a world, you know, of, of adult compromises and cynicism and difficulty, etc. The child understands that there is a soul and heartfelt connection with the animal powers. 
And sometimes when we're trying to bring ourselves together in the sense of bringing our inner children back home, the presence of the animals is what will make it work. Mm, yeah, and I, and I think about how perhaps on some level the pets that we have um, in our homes can be sort of like that reminder of that connection that we long for. Yeah, that's oh, let's, let's remember when we talk about shamanic relations with the animals, most of us live closer to dogs or cats or horses than mm-hmm. to any other animals. Right. So these might be our most important shamanic allies. I mean, we want to have, I mean, they're good medicine, they're good therapy in ordinary life. Sure. And you know what? Sometimes after they've passed on, they reappear to us mm-hmm. as magnificent allies in the fully shamanic sense. I mean, the yes. black dog, the big black Labrador shepherd mutt, who I love so completely he was killed on the road many years ago he oh. came again and again in my dreams and in other ways to support and assist me and the family after his death and he became a very important shamanic ally with his individual spirit and then it became something more general like anubis in the backyard mm. so we shut, shouldn't forget when we talk about a shamanic relationship the animal spirit to think about those wonderful animal companions we've had in our homes and our environment mm-hmm. yeah you know, Robert, um, these conversations always fly by. Our hour is up. Um, but I want to thank you for doing what you're doing and sharing so much of your own soul with the world. And I want to thank you for joining us here today. Oh, you're a dream host. And let's say joyous solstice, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and a new year full of abounding creative joy to you and to all your listeners. Beautiful. And... Happy holidays to you, however you celebrate them. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com, where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.